Uh, as Charlie said, it is uh, a few weeks since I've been here. Uh, don't worry, I have not been skydiving most of that time. Uh, between magnitude and being at Hillview, and a bit of holiday, and also at Stonehaven Baptist. Uh, it's been a little while, but it's always such a privilege and a joy uh, to get to come back. Uh, it's not just a, a courtesy and preaching thing to say, uh, but genuinely I find my soul so refreshed every time I get to come to Kintore. As Charlie also said, uh, we are continuing going through the Gospel of John, and we arrive at chapter 15, at chapter 5 today. Wow, that would be uh, a long sermon last week. We covered 10 chapters. Uh, but please, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John 5, uh, and we'll be looking at the first 17 verses today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible on you, there are Bibles at the back. Uh, those are uh, uh, always there. You're able to, to, take one, uh, to take one home to read it whenever. Uh, but John, chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Amen. Uh, when preparing and reading uh, this story, uh, I really saw this as a story of a man who placed his hope in something for so long, yet that hope had never worked out, and he needed a different hope. And my first thought in picturing that uh, was to think about Man United, but as before I came in here this morning, Kyle was doing a mic check and doing an impression of me, and he said, Man United, dice farm. And so I quickly became aware, I talk about those things far too much, uh, and so it's not a Man United uh, story or illustration. Uh, rather, we're going to quickly look uh, to Harry Potter, which for some, I guess, may be a bit worse to speak about witchcraft in a sermon, uh, but it won't be too long. Uh, so the fourth Harry Potter, the Goblet of Fire, they're in this uh, tri-wizard tournament. Uh, Harry has uh, a mission, he needs to be able to breathe underwater. And so he and his friends uh, spend hours and hours in the library, trawling through books, trying to find the answer. How can they make it so Harry can breathe underwater? That's his big hope. Uh, the event approaches, they never quite get an answer. The things he's been hoping in those books and his friends, and it fails away. But then, depending on 
uh, whether you're into the movies or the books, Dobby, or Neville, comes up with this thing called Gillyweeds. He just hands it to Harry, quickly, and his hope is realised. He's found what he's looking for, he knows a way to read underwater. He'd spent hours and days searching in a vain hope in the books. But hope turns up in this little game. We come to a story of a man lying in hope for 38 years, but hoping in a pool of water that never quite worked out for him. Until one day, real hope, Jesus Christ walks in, and the story changes forevermore. Uh, to help us uh, picture the story, John gives us a few little bits of context and details at the very start. Uh, you'll see there at verse 1, this happens during a feast of the Jews during a festival. He doesn't tell us which one and the detail of which festival isn't, I guess, that important. But what he wants to communicate there is that it is a very busy time in Jerusalem. Particularly at the pool, the pool was uh, near the Sheep Gate, which was fairly close to the temple. And as you can imagine, it's one of the busiest times of the year. There's people everywhere, this pool is busy. And in this pool, uh, you have five colonnades. Uh, these roofs that have columns underneath. It might sound like a patronizing thing to explain, but I can guarantee there's at least one person in this room in a yellow t-shirt who did not know what a colonnade was. Uh, there's these colonnades, and underneath these colonnades, there are the blind, lame, and paralyzed lying there. The reason they're lying is in the hope that at one stage, an angel of God will come stir the waters, and then if they enter the pool, they will be healed. Now that's something uh, that verse 4 explains to us, but if you are following on pretty closely in your Bible, you'll see that you probably don't have a verse 4 with you. That verse, uh, you might have a little footnote that uh, points you to the bottom of the page that explains what verse 4 might have said. Uh, the long and short of it is, uh, in the earliest manuscripts, verse 4 wasn't there. But it was added on over time as sort of a commentary on the passage that then got assimilated into some Bibles, uh, but for us now has been taken out. That commentary uh, helps us understand uh, the context of what the man was hoping for. It also helps to explain uh, what verse 7 is uh, when the water is stirred up. They believed, and their belief could have been valid or not, we're really not told, is that an angel of God would come down and stir the waters and those who entered the waters would be healed. So we have a man here, lying by the pool, 38 years in the hope that one day, the time he work out will work out, and he can enter the pool and be healed. 38 years. Nearly four decades lying next to a pool, just waiting. Occasionally he would get some level of hope as the waters are stirred. But as we see later on, his hope is shattered as he can't make it in. Because of his physical situation in a society, he would have been marginalized, ignored, impoverished, desperate. All his hope placed in a single pool of water that he cannot access. Some of those feelings that the man would have felt, I'm sure are felt by some of us this morning as we gather. That feeling of suffering for years and years, waiting for an answer to come or a fix to come. That feeling of being marginalized, 
that feeling of being impoverished and desperate. And it doesn't need to just be from some sort of physical disability. Those feelings can come from years of depression, from the breakdown of relationships, for worries in our families, from loneliness, or sometimes just things we can't quite put our finger on, but we know there's something missing. Some among us might find those feelings a little harder to relate to, and that is a blessing and something to be celebrated. But as a family of God together, we are reminded that we are called to share in one another's burdens, to rejoice in the joy of others, and to share in the sorrows of others. As, our brother, as brothers and sisters gather together, we, we mourn and struggle together. But to that man lying at the pool for 38 years, and to the brother or sister here this morning struggling, or to the outsider searching for answers, there is a single, solitary, beautiful hope. And that hope's name is Jesus. We first see Jesus enter our story in verse 6. Now let's read it. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? We read that Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. I've obviously added emphasis onto those verbs because they might seem a little inconsequential to us. But to a man who's been lying there for 38 years, completely isolated and marginalized, to be seen and known would have been one of his deepest moments. It's a busy time with the festival. People walking around the whole time, people have traveled from afar to be in Jerusalem. And he just sees them stride on by without giving him a second look. But when Jesus turns up, Jesus sees the man, and Jesus knows the man's pain. I wonder for you, as you consider your own pain and story, is there some sort of sense of isolation? Perhaps a fear that you cannot share your struggles with others. Maybe out of fear that they might not care enough as, as you want them to. Perhaps you compare your pain to others and feel that your pain isn't quite significant enough to worry about. Perhaps you are worried that your struggles might give off an impression of being a bad Christian. And if that is the case, then first of all, I want to say that we are sorry. Uh, that the church ought to be the place where we are most comfortable and encouraged to share our struggles. And if it is not, then something has gone wrong. But second of all, I really want you to know and hear that in Jesus Christ you have a God who sees you and who knows your pain. No struggle is too small for him to care about. No prayer request can be prayed too many times. Jesus responds to you time and time again and always will be of love and care and welcome. The way Jesus responds uh, to this man might seem pretty odd to us. Uh, he asks him a very obvious question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Jesus sees and knows his pain and still asks me. Uh, when I used to uh, deliver pizza for Pizza Hut, if I turned up at somebody's door after they ordered pizza and said, hey, do you want pizza? They'd think I'm an idiot. Of course they want pizza, they've ordered pizza. But yet Jesus comes to this man, he knows he wants to be healed, and says, do you want to be healed? 
It's actually the same sort of question that Charlie asked us to consider at the start of the service. Why are you here this morning? Something we know that the answer is probably obvious to you. We know we're here to worship God. But to remind ourselves is so important. And so Jesus is asking this man, who's been lying there for 38 years, consider again, what do you really want? Do you really want to be healed? Perhaps he needs to remind himself of his hope because over the years his hope has been extinguished. Perhaps the man lying there had been distracted by all the crowds gathered. Or perhaps it's just helpful for him to declare out loud to others and to himself that he really wants to be healed. It's so easy when you hope for so long for something to forget to speak about it. To think others or God might be tired of hearing about it again. Jesus invites the man to tell him what he really wants. And Jesus invites us too, again, to tell him what we really want, what are our deepest desires. You might think it foolish to tell him something that he already knows, but he is desperate to hear it from you. And maybe your hope is not just related to pain and struggle. Maybe your hope is for your spouse to come to know Jesus. Maybe your hope is for a wonderful pastor to come and pastor this church. And maybe your hope is to see revival across Scotland. These are all beautiful hopes, and may we never tire of telling each other, and most importantly, telling Jesus what our hopes are. I have for a long time been praying regularly for a couple of my friends to come to know Jesus. There's been uh, some breakthrough at times. They've done Alpha, they've come along to some church services, we've had some really great conversations. But it's been years now, and there's often I find myself just adding on a line to pray for my friends as a courtesy of my prayer. And there are times when I've really lost that sense of urgency and heart for them to come to know Jesus. Jesus is inviting me and he's inviting us. Tell Jesus again afresh, what is it that you are hoping for? And so I, and we, need to tell Jesus, what is it we are longing for? What is it that we are wanting Jesus to do? The man actually doesn't even answer the question properly. Uh, look at verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I am going, another steps down before me. He doesn't even say the words, Yes, I want to be healed. What he says instead is he gives the reasons why he has not yet got what he is looking for. There is no one to put him in the pool, and when he might be able to get in the pool, there's somebody else who gets in before him. And here is the big problem. Regardless of whether the pool actually works or not, this man is hoping in something that can be taken away from him. He's hoping in the wrong thing. And it's not just his fault. He was not aware that there was possible a greater hope than to hope in that pool of water. His hope was not a sure hope because it could be crushed by his own inability or by the actions of others. If all someone has to hope in, in this life, is something that can be easily taken away, then it is a tragic hope to place one's life in. It is not a hope we could commit our lives to. It is not a hope that could last uh, for years or definitely not for eternity. The man lying there needs something greater than a pool of water to put his hope in. 
and that hope arrives as we said. The man needs to place his hope in Jesus. Because to that man, Jesus is far greater than a pool of water. Because while the pool of water stands there waiting for the man to enter, Jesus Christ moves towards the man. Jesus is greater than the pool because the pool uh, did not care one bit for the man, but Jesus saw the man and knew his pain. Jesus is greater than the pool because the pool needed the man to seek it out. But Jesus did not need the man to do anything to be healed. Jesus is greater than the pool because the man needed help from others to get into the pool, but Jesus alone is more than enough. Jesus is greater than the pool because the pool might have worked sometimes once a year. But the power and the call of Jesus is for us all the time. Jesus is greater than the pool because no one can block his access to Jesus. Just as there is no person, no hurt, no pain, no sin, no thing that can block our access to Jesus. And I know it might sound foolish and crazy to be comparing Jesus to this inanimate object of the pool. But just for a moment, let's consider how crazy it is that we ever seek to place our hope in something other than Jesus that would ever look uh, towards our own ability, or our own wealth, or our own family, or government, or friends, to put our hope in when the offer is there in Jesus Christ. And with that offer of placing our hope in Jesus Christ, we do not need to fix our pain first, or get our house in order first to come. We are given the opportunity to just receive his love for us, to accept his gift of himself. That's the great invitation that we are given at the cross. The cross doesn't say, fix yourself and I will love you. The cross says, I love you. Sin is dealt with there. Death is paid for there. And so to Jesus, we get to freely come and from Jesus, we get to freely receive. And to look at what he could do far greater, far better than whatever Paul could do. The man had been lying there helpless for 38 years, and just in a few words, Jesus tells him to get up. And instantly, he is healed. 38 years, and hope works in an instant when that hope is in Jesus Christ. So wherever you might have been placing your hope up until now, I urge you and I ask you please to place your hope in Jesus. That's not just a first time thing if you've never done that before. That might be something we just need to consider again if our hope seems to be placed elsewhere. But it's also for those of us who are Christians, it is a daily placing of our hope in Jesus. We will be so tempted to wake up in the morning, to look at the day ahead and think it all relies on us. But we are called to, we are invited to daily place our hope in Jesus, accept his offer to walk with us. And we trust that as he fulfilled the deepest longings of the man, he will one day fulfill our deepest longings too. There is a danger uh, if we read uh, this story. Uh, there is a danger, uh, if we read this story, that we might come away thinking, 
okay, well, if we actually come to Jesus with our hope, then he's just going to make all of our worries go away. That he will fix everything and tick every box that we are looking for. Yes, this man was healed. We have a God who graciously heals us and blesses us. But I know, and I know as I look around the room and, and as I get to talk to folks in church, that we are very aware that there is real pain that, at least on this earth, does not seem to actually go away. That not every that disease is healed. And those things are not a sign of somebody not placing their hope in Jesus. It is not a, it is not you haven't placed your hope in Jesus enough, you don't have enough faith, and so Jesus isn't going to heal you. Jesus doesn't promise that he will heal us right now. But he promises us that as we place our hope in Jesus, Jesus makes his place in us. I'm just going to say that again. The promise of Jesus is that when we place our hope in him, he makes his place in us. And so the reality is that cancer may linger, that loneliness might stay, that families might not reconcile, but Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, will never leave us. And that is the hope we get to hold on to. Uh, there's more to this passage, and so there's more to this sermon. But the message I hope we hear the loudest, and all the way through, is that invitation from Jesus to place our hope in Him. I really hope we hear that invitation loudly. But there is also in our passage a bit of a challenge and a call to us. So when we read a passage that has a challenge or an instruction to us, we respond in two ways. Either we receive the instruction as something on how to act, or we see the instruction and what it really just does is highlight where we have failed. Uh, so to put it another way behind me, uh, you might have seen on the doors there is a one-way system and a no-entry sign. So as you look at those signs, uh, you might think, Okay, I see one way, I'm going to walk that way. That's receiving the instruction on how to act in life. You may look at them and say, Oh no, I accidentally walked through the other way at one time. And so it's revealed to you where you have fallen short. Now I, I don't care in the slightest about those signs. If you're passionate about signs, I'm really sorry. Uh, that's just a, a silly example. But as we come to see a challenge in Scripture, we see how we are called to live and we are also made aware of how we have failed to live. In this passage, we are instructed to live like Jesus. We're also instructed to accept his invitation like the man does. But the characters in the second half of our story uh, involve the Jews. And the Jews in this story are who we are called not to live like. So uh, the Jews uh, come in in verse 10. It is their turn to come over and speak to the man. Now, earlier, Jesus came over, saw the man, and spoke to him, and now the Jews have their turn. Except there's a huge difference in the way in which they come. Jesus saw and knew a man who had been lying there ignored for 38 years. The Jews had probably never given him a second glance until now. Because what he's done is he's picked up his mat and he's walked. They notice him, A, because he now fits in with everybody else. And B, because he's broken a rule that they had They had ignored him before. They hadn't helped him into the pool. 
They probably tried to avert their gaze as they walked by, and now they speak. This is a challenge for us, as we, people blessed with community, ability, money, life, go about our lives. Who are the needy people that we are so easily ignoring? What are the groups of people that we only seem to notice when they do things we don't like? What people do we only notice when their process become a little too rowdy for our liking? What folks in the church do we only uh, hear their struggles when they're actually coming to leave the church? Do we notice the hurting and the struggling and the poor in our communities because they inconvenience us or because we are so stirred up with the love of Jesus that we want to go and share the hope they can find in? The other challenge the Jews present to us is in verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he saw he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So they see that Jesus has done this great thing, the evidence is right before them in the fact that this man can now walk. But because it doesn't line up with their own expectations, because it's happened on the Sabbath, uh, their own interpretation of the Sabbath, uh, not a biblical one, but one that they have come up with, uh, meaning that that healing or that picking up of the mat was too much work. Because of that, they could not imagine that God would be working in a way that did not fit into their own limits of how God would work. The challenge to us then is as we see Jesus doing great work around us, even if it looks different to how we'd expect, are we still going to celebrate it? For me, this challenge really hit home as we took our youth away to Magnitude a few weeks ago. Now, I absolutely loved Magnitude. Uh, it was an incredibly fun time, it was an incredibly powerful time. But there's actually a decent bit of stuff that happens in the main meetings that's not really my cup of tea. I actually don't like tea. Uh, and so it's actually, it's not really my cup of chocolate milk. <laughs> the band was probably a bit too loud for me. Uh, some of the songs uh, I don't particularly know. Uh, some of the way they use the Bible, I wasn't the biggest fan of. And so at the end of the week, when they announced that 90 young people had come to faith in Jesus Christ, there was part of me that was, that was joyous about it. But there was part of my heart that quietly resented the fact that magnitude didn't live exactly how I wanted it to. How wicked there must be in my heart that to hear of 90 people going to death, going from life, no, nope, I'm not going to do a Derek for what damage, going from death to life, and I'm not just an uncontrollable joy. We long for revival in Kintal. How would we feel if God chooses to do that through the parish church? How would we feel if other churches round about us saw huge growth and we didn't? What if God calls a pastor here that we voted no for? What if the Free Church or the Assemblies of God or the Salvation Army see millions come to faith in Scotland? passage calls us not to limit God to our own interpretations, but to see how much greater he is than the limits we could ever put on. And so when we get to witness what he is doing, would we just be filled with joy at the amazing things that Jesus is doing today? I really hope we hear those two challenges. And I really hope, as I've said, that we hear the invitation first and foremost. And I want us to hear one uh, final verse as we come to close. 
Let's go back a little bit, but it's back to verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The second half of that verse might sound confusing to us. He's saying, sin no more, so that nothing worse will happen to you. Uh, He's not saying that in the sense that if this man sins enough, that God will punish him or withdraw his blessing from him. He's more saying it like a parent might want a child. Um, So a parent might tell a child or a 25-year-old, hey, don't have ice cream before dinner or you'll ruin your dinner. The parent isn't going to ruin the child's dinner, but that action has consequences. Jesus is just warning the man as he's warning all of us. Hey, sometimes sin has consequences. The part of the verse I want us to hold on to and cherish, though, is those beautiful first four words of Jesus. See, you are well. We, brothers and sisters, we look forward to one day where we see Jesus say these words to us. In Jesus, we have a hope that we will hear these words in a place where the word cancer was not known. Where people who have suffered with Alzheimer's will look at their children and call out their names again. In a place where families will not break up. In a place where sadness will not exist. Where hopes and dreams that we have felt for so many years will come true. We live looking forward to our hope when we see Jesus face to face and he says to us, see you are well. A hope secured for us by Jesus rising from that grave, declaring that death is dead, everlasting life is ours to live in Jesus' name. And so no matter your pain and hurt right now, you are invited to tell it to Jesus. He promises to welcome you in And as we place our hope in him, we look forward to that day when we hear those words. See, you are well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who sees and knows our pain. And that you are a God who heals it. uh, Whether now or in many years or on that day uh, when we hear, see, you are well. Lord, help us to respond to your invitation by placing our hope in you for the first time, for the hundredth time, or just daily again and again. Thank you that we have a sure hope of seeing you again in glory. Help us uh, to hear your challenge to us, to consider the needy round about us, and to share the hope of Jesus with them. Help us to uh, not limit uh, what we see or what you are doing but to celebrate the work you are doing, even if it looks different to how we have thought. Lord, thank you that the hope that that man had is the same hope that still works thousands of years later. It is hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would we sing with joy about that and declare it to the world that is so desperately in need of this hope. 